This morning we'll continue to look uh, our series on the book of Philippians. We'll be looking at um, chapter 3 for this morning. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, uh, verses 12 to 21. If you haven't got a Bible, it'll be projected on the screen, um, and I'll be reading through them. So Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the Christ of Jesus. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. A wonderful part of this letter. Just amazing how Paul is reminding people of what God has done. Doesn't he get tired? I think I told you. I think it's similar to Raj. Of, doesn't he ever get tired of really encouraging you? Paul is doing the same. He begins this chapter by really saying something that may surprise you. He says, Rejoice! He said that so often in this letter alone, but he says rejoice again, rejoice. He doesn't say that sort of rejoice when it's close to Christmas time or that sort of joy when you have after a couple of pints or in my case after a big portion of kebab because that won't last long. He's saying rejoice in God. He's reminding them. I remember in 2010 when we had a particularly severe winter here, now, you may think that's every year, if, particularly if you're not from this nation. But in 2010, it was particularly severe. We had lots and lots of snow. It was really long, and it was really getting into me, considering that my hometown is full of palm trees where I was born, and we've got coral reef, and the temperatures in the summer are soaring, and we've got a little object in the sky. It's called the sun, and it works. It gives heat. You know? um, so it was really difficult for me um, in that year, because winter was particularly long. But what I did to escape from that, to get away from that, I would just put Club Tropicana on, you know, by Wham. Uh, I would just put that on for three and a half minutes. I'd be in a different world thinking, oh, yes, it's brilliant, it's amazing. And then as soon as the song would come to an end, I'd look out the window and everything's still the same. It was still the same. So for three and a half minutes, I was in a place different from, where, from home. But... That didn't really change the reality. What Paul's saying is, rejoice, rejoice in God. Because the reality is that he has saved you. The reality is that because of what he has done, you're able to come and say, yes, this is my past, but it doesn't matter because there's a line that's drawn and this is my future. This is where I'm going to go. I'm going to spend all eternity with him, the guy who gave his life for me. And therefore, I can be happy regardless of what's happening in my life. I can draw a line. He's done it for me. He's given me grace. Isn't that wonderful? So I can carry on. And Paul says, yeah, remember that and rejoice. Because then 
if things aren't working in your life, you can still rejoice. If the winter is particularly severe, and if it's long, longer than usual, just like our friend, Baz Muhammad, if things aren't working, if it hasn't had work for three weeks, if he's really living in poverty, but still says, I'm happy, I rejoice, I love you, my brothers and sisters, and I rejoice. Not because he's forgotten his situation, because he's listened to a song that takes him away for three minutes, because he knows the reality, and the reality is that God is sovereign. Now, many of us may be battling with illness, mental illness, physical illness. Many of us may be battling with our marriages, with difficulties to do with children, difficulties to do with finances, a lot of things that go on in life. If I ask you to put your hands up if you've got no problems in your life, I know you would, but I know that the rest of us will think you're a liar. Because, isn't that true? Life does have its issues. And Paul is not disregarding that. Remember, he's in chains, he's writing. He's in chains and he's writing. In a first century prison, in chains, and he's saying, rejoice. So every time... Your cup of tea is a bit colder than you like it, or it's not the right color. Don't lose your joy over it. Remember, the Apostle Paul had chains around him, and he was writing, Rejoice! Have joy in God! And why is he reminding them of this? Because there are people in the church around who come and say, You know, you've become Christians. It's brilliant. It's great. But you know, we're proper Christians because we're Jews, and we've got the actual book with us. You haven't got a book written yet. And it says in that, You've got to do certain things. You've got to keep the law. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to be circumcised. For more information on that, listen to Simon's talk from two weeks ago. And uh, just to put you at ease, yeah, we all believe that that's not necessary. So, um, But yeah, because there are people around who come and say to these Christians, these people who've been saved recently, who are really rejoicing and saying, praise God. We can't believe that he's actually done it for us. And we're not even one of his people, but he's come and he's grafted us into his people. And he's made us into a holy nation. And they come and say, no, no, it's not all of it. And there's strings attached. You know, you've got to do this for God. You've got to do this, 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 and this to repay him. Paul says, in answer to that, just rejoice. Go hilarious. Have fun. Not just the sort of fun that I talked about right at the beginning. Have the joy of God. Because that will silence those who are coming and saying, grace is good, but religion is better. Or religion and grace will work together really well. Paul is encouraging them, saying, go for it. Rejoice. When you hear these sort of things that are not the sort of things we taught you, that are not the sort of things that God has for you, rejoice. Have you ever been to a conference on evangelism and you've left really depressed and feeling guilty? I've done that a couple of times. And, I mean, evangelism is great and praise God for the gifts in the church. But there's been times where I've been listening to a seminar or I've been sat at a conference and people talk about evangelism and you think, oh, I'm so embarrassed. It just makes you feel guilty. You live so embarrassed and ashamed thinking, this is what's supposed to be, look, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I haven't, what do I do? And I've been to places where people have talked about evangelism. Of course, it convicts your heart because it allows you to look at the lost world, the lost and dying world, and see the world how God sees it, to look at your neighbors who don't believe in Jesus and see them the way that God sees them. Yeah, your heart breaks over them. Your heart's convicted. 
But at the same time, you live so encouraged, wanting to go and do what Jesus had called you to do. That is the sort of place I want to go to. Now, I'm not belittling evangelism, or if you're really passionate about it, go for it. Encourage us all. Go for it. Pray over us. Tell us. Encourage us in doing that. And let us see the fruits. But yet, it still does happen in church, where in places you sit down and you just feel really heavy on your heart, rather than having the joy of God. Celebrate God. Celebrate His compassion. The fullness that He's given you. Gerald Hawthorne, a Bible teacher, says, Christian joy, the exaltation of spirit that flows from free gift of God's grace, is the best protection of all against negative and divisive outlook upon life. So it's the joy of God that reminds us who we are. The joy of God that reminds us of the grace we received. Celebrating what we have makes the teachings of those who think that you've got to add to grace look really fallible. There are some cheesy phrases in some schools. I've been going to um, a number of schools um, over the past few years, um, through, particularly through Food Bank in their assembly, and as you go in, there's lots of phrases written on the wall, some of them to encourage the kids, but some of them are really cheesy. I mean, come on, you could do better. But there was one that really grabbed me, and I thought, oh, I'm going to remember this. And it said, your attitude determines your direction. Now, you may think that's not very Christian because it's talking about doing things in your own strength. But to put it in terms of religion and grace, our attitude towards God and His grace really determines how we understand His grace. So grace says, I've messed up. I really didn't get it right. I've messed up and I need the Father. That's my attitude to grace because I really need Him because I need His loving arms and I need to sit down with Him and I need to spend time with Him. But religion teaches us otherwise. And I've been there many, many times, even in my Christian life. It says, oh, I've messed up and I've got to hide it because it brings shame. I've messed up and I've really, really got to run away from the Father. So our attitude towards grace really determines whether we still want to live in the past or in the future. Now, Paul warns the church, the Philippines, the Christians in there, of Something else. It says, first of all, rejoice, remember, be glad in God, and also remember you're not perfect. And he starts by himself. He says, look, I'm not saying that I've achieved it all, but look at me. Be warned. Be very careful about perfectionism. Now I know, particularly in this culture, this can come across as a bit offensive, because being perfect is good. It's good to have perfect plans. It's good to have things in order. It's good to have things perfectly written. It's good to have a strategy. It's good to have things perfectly laid out and really following them word for word. And I know um, if you're offended, then great, you're in the right place. Because Paul says perfectionism doesn't really have much place in the kingdom of God. Of course, it's good to strive and do things great. It's good to be faithful to what God has given us and really go for it and press on. Paul is saying, press on, don't look back. Don't punch like you're punching in the air. Don't look back like you're not sure really. Am I running straight forward or am I looking back? Be sure and do it with all your strength. But be careful because you're not going to get it perfect. And he gives a picture of heaven, just a glimpse of it. When I was thinking about perfectionism, and I was thinking about the examples, with the Persian rugs and carpets, um, traditionally and historically, when people are making them, 
they, there is usually a deliberate mistake in there. They're just wonderful pieces of art, but there's usually a deliberate mistake in there. And if you're not really trained in that sort of uh, industry, you won't be able to tell. It may be just in the design, deliberately, or just the final touches of it. It doesn't change the quality of the carpet, but they, the reason they do it is because they say that only God is perfect, and therefore, to make something really perfect goes against what they believe in and is an offense to God. So we're not going to make it perfect. We're just going to have a deliberate mistake in there. Now, there's a degree of arrogance in there, um, I've realized, but it's the thoughts that count, really. So they're recognizing that we're making something wonderful. This is just an art that you can look at for hours and hours. Look, we've done this, but yet God, God can do better. We've done this, but his perfection is just something totally different. What Paul's trying to convey to the Philippians is about the spiritual journey. When Paul was an unconverted Jew, he actually thought he'd arrived in the destination. You know, when you get in the car, especially if you have to uh, put up with a long journey with kids, I think usually within about 20 minutes, I don't know what your kids are like, whether it's just mine, within about 20, 25 minutes, if they're really gracious, are we there yet? And yet we've got four hours to go. Are we there yet, Dad? Are we there yet? No. And then two seconds later, are we there yet? Sometimes I really want to say, yes, we are. I just pull over and say, if you fancy getting off, brilliant. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing. Paul's saying, we're just not there yet. Don't keep asking whether we're there yet. Because I don't want to really believe that this is all that we're going to get. Of course, it's wonderful and it's amazing. But I don't want to believe that this is everything, that this is all of it. No, there is more. There is more to come. And Paul's saying, don't be like those kids thinking, oh, we've just arrived. Oh, that looks like my grandma's house. So we must have arrived. And it's in a totally different town. No, we're not there yet. Paul gives a picture of heaven, just a tiny picture of heaven. Now, the picture of heaven for each and every one of us, before we actually dig deep into the Bible, is a bit marred because our worldview really shapes the picture of heaven that we have. So if you um, think the picture of heaven in particular faiths, it's really focused on what people are missing in that part of the world or their fantasies. Whereas in the Bible, the picture of heaven is this. Spending eternity with Jesus Christ himself. Worshipping him and praising him. Of course, there are other things, but the main thing we get is to spend eternity with God himself. Worshipping Him and praising Him. So if really worship isn't your thing, you may want to consider another place. You may want to consider maybe um, what, what alternatives are there to heaven. Because that's what we're going to have in there. Praise and worship non-stop with God Himself. Earlier in the chapter, Paul says, if anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in flesh, I have more. And he starts listing what he has, his achievements. He starts listing some of the things that now he knows are of no use to him. He says, I'm a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He knows which tribe he comes from. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He used to take pride in that. Hebrew of Hebrews. And for the law, I was a Pharisee. And for zeal, I was persecuting you guys. What more could you have? Compare your resume, your CV to Paul, in terms of achievements for God. And yet, 
when he had an encounter with Jesus himself, he realized all of that was for nothing. All of it doesn't really matter. What matters is keeping my focus on him. Who could attain more than Paul at his time or even now? But he realized he wasn't furthering the cause of God. Where he was going was the wrong direction. Have you ever tried driving in Europe in your own car? I have, and I've driven to Central Europe, and at times, particularly in places where it was really, really quiet, I was on the wrong side of the road, sometimes even the wrong direction. I didn't realize until I saw a car coming, and then realized, oh, no, they do it differently. Some of you may say wrongly. In, this, in those parts of the world, Paul realized he's going the wrong direction. He's not even on the right track. He doesn't even have to try that hard. But the price that he paid was different. Having come to Christ for his salvation, Paul knew which direction was the right direction. Not, on, not because he worked it out, because God revealed it to him. Now, you may be wondering, am I even in the right place? You may be thinking, I wasn't even sure whether I should go to church this morning, but one of my friends really pushed me. You may be wondering, oh, I've heard about this Alpha, I've been invited to it a few times, but I'm not really sure about it. There may be a bunch of Christians there trying to Bible bash you. I mean, um, not majority of them, but Shirley, yes. Um, <laughs> keep away from her. You may be wondering, is this really true? Now, God is sovereign over everything, including you being here this morning. And he has a plan for you. If you're unsure about him, I really want to encourage you. Give two hours of your life to him this evening and allow him to come and speak to you. Hear people who believe in him for two hours, and that two hours includes food, so um, really, it's on my conscience, I'm really, really um, okay with inviting you there. Give him two hours and let him change your life forever. And there's no strings attached. All it requires is just you being willing to allow him to speak to you. Now, Paul is saying all of this at a time and a place where you wouldn't really encourage people to be uh, rejoicing, where you think, I'm in these chains, I'm in heaven. No, actually, if I just get out of this prison, I'll be all right. I don't need to go to heaven. In fact, it's, it's one of those times where you just don't really think about anything better other than just the thing that you had before. So Paul had freedom. He's lost his freedom because of the gospel. And he's talking about heaven, saying, we're going to spend eternity with him. It reminds me, I was on, uh, on Tuesday, I was at the Borough match um, against Birmingham. And uh, the, just a few uh, seats away from me, there was um, a guy, an older guy, um, who sat there. And I think we were one nil behind. We'd already missed the penalty. Um, so things weren't really looking good. And it, the game was just becoming a bit dull at times. And just in those moments, he would stand up and say, Come on, Borough! And that was just amazing when everything was really quiet, when even the players were thinking, oh, isn't it the time? Oh, no, another 30 minutes. Come on, wrong, guys. And we're one nil behind, and we're thinking, oh, is it relegation? Oh, is it, what, what is it? This guy would stand there and say, come on, let's go for it. At a time when nobody else really thinks we can do much, anything, any better, we can't really do much, there was one person. And then suddenly things would change, at least in that row. And then a few more people would join him. And then... Uh, but by the end, yeah, it was one all. We could have done a lot better, but hey, we're not going to get into that. But that guy really reminded me of Paul. At a time where it's very unlikely for somebody to say something encouraging, 
He would stand up and say, come on, let's go for it, press on. Look at me. I mean, you wouldn't use an example of a guy in prison saying, oh, imitate him. But he's saying, imitate me, learn from me. I've not got it all right, but look at me, how I'm zealous for, for the gospel, how I've really laid out my life for him, how I'm really looking up to him and carrying forward regardless of what's happening around me. Carry on. Imagine telling your kid, learn from this person. He's in prison because of the gospel, but you know, prison usually, I wouldn't tell you to learn something from somebody in prison, but this guy's a good guy. He's in prison because of the gospel, so learn from him. We can actually say that even today. Many of our brothers and sisters are in prison because of their faith. Not because they committed a crime, but because they simply do not give up on believing in Jesus. And yes, we can imitate them. We can learn from them. Paul is saying, you will have glorified bodies, so don't really think that this is all we're going to have. And praise God that even our glorified bodies, I believe that we'll be able to eat because Jesus was glorified. You know, when he rose again from the dead, he went to Simon who was on the seaside and he went and sat down. What did he do? He said, Hiya, son, will you pass us some fish? He got some fish and he ate. And then I think he was probably sending John around the corner in the corner shop for some salt and pepper and other things. But he sat down and ate. Brilliant. In our glorified bodies, God knows me really well. The Philippians, and perhaps some of us, would be reluctant to really admit our failings. Some of us would probably deny who we are, who we really are. If you really want to know what a man's like, go and ask his wife. No, don't ask Mavash, though, because she'll tell you the truth. If you really want to know who you are, then get involved in the community. And then ask your brothers and sisters in the community, what do you think I am? Who do you think I am? If you're running away from community, if you're running away from accountability, then there's something wrong. Admit it to yourself and to God and come back in the community. The heaven is going to be a great place. Some of you may think, oh, not really, because there are going to be the same people in there. But Paul is not saying just really be indifferent to people around you and what's happening in the world. He's not saying that. You know, it reminds me of Master Rugwe in Kung Fu Panda. Um, if you've seen that, Master Rugwe is really this guy who's, who's got it all. He's perfect in Kung Fu, so you wouldn't dare say a wrong word. But he's just so calm. And he's got everything under control. Nothing's really too scary for him. Nothing's too big. Even some of the tigers, some of the fighters, some of the big fighters, he hears about them coming and he's just sat with his staff thinking. And he's just, look, he's always on sedatives. Or this morphine in the air. He's just sat with his face, like looking really, really calm. There are really big kung fu fighters coming our way. It's okay. Paul's not saying we should be that way. Because then we're not real in life. Of course, life has ups and downs. Of course, there are times that you may feel really, really righteously angry about injustice. There are times where you feel like you're really tired and run low. You know what? Jesus felt tired as well. But he never gave up his joy. He felt tired, he just withdrew. And he went and took a nap. And then perhaps had some croissant afterwards with a cup of tea. And he was alright. So Paul's not calling us to be Master Ugwe. Paul's calling us to be servants of Jesus Christ himself. We all know, with the example I gave you about the Persian rugs, we don't need to be deliberate in our imperfections. 
We have them already. <laughs> we have them in our lives. If you're not sure, if you can't really think of it on top of your head, just take a look again in your life. And some of the things that you didn't get quite right, if not ask your children, I'm sure they'll be able to point you out. They'll definitely put their fingers on some of the stuff in there. What Paul is saying is not to be perfect, but what he's saying, what's the goal in your life? What are you trying to achieve? Where are you going? Which direction are you going? Because that will determine who you are. I remember John Hosier, who is a Bible teacher again from our family of churches. He was up here in Teesside. He was preaching Jubilee. And we were in a setting and somebody asked him, if he could go back. Now, I think he's, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, maybe in his early, late 70s. Now, if I get it wrong in my culture, the older you are, the more honor you get. So that's my way out, really, if I got it wrong. But somebody asked him, if you could go back, what would you change? Or what would you do differently? If you could turn time back, and you were a, perhaps a 20 or 30 year old man, what would you do? His, his answer was, I'd have more faith for the things that God's called me to. Now, praise God that we, in our family, we have people, young and old, and again, remember, old isn't, uh, it's complimentary. So, we have kids and we have those who really walk the walk, and yet they're not afraid or embarrassed to say, actually, if I could go back, I'd have more faith and I would step out more for God. I would obey him even further and say, yeah, I have faith for what you've called me to. Do you have faith for God today? Do you have faith to where he's called you to? Whatever he has called you to. Or do you think, actually, I could do better if only God, you listen to me and you realize I can prove you wrong because I've got, really, I've got this working. We're citizens of a different place, and therefore... Our lives are different. We're citizens of a different place. doesn't mean we're better people, but how we do things and how we live our lives are different. Again, another example from the Riverside. We were collecting for food bank outside the stadium, and people, I mean, just as always, I was amazed at the support we we got. So people would come, the supporters, the fans would drop off food, and we were just having conversations with some of them, and they were really passionate about this. Some of them were really angry that we needed a food bank in this day and age. They would drop off their food and would really uh, voice their concerns about why do we need food banks? And sometimes it would include family language. So why do we need food banks? And then they would go on really passionately. And I thought, I've got to fit in. What do I do? What do I do? And I was thinking, what, what, what can I say? I, I need to fit in and I need to, yeah, yeah I agree with you, mate. And, and I thought, the biggest insult I could think of and the biggest swear word was jumping the queue. So I thought, well, I can't use that in a phrase, really. I can't use that. I can't say, these jumping the queue people, these and that. It didn't work. So I realized the fact that I had to think to remember some words that we do not use because we belong somewhere else. That just told me, not that I'm a better person, but maybe I should have rang Val and asked for a few tips on that. <laughs> now I'm in trouble already. So I wouldn't fit in in terms of language. But we both were really passionate about one particular cause. We've all been saved for a particular purpose. God has a plan and purpose for you. And he knows what the plans and purposes are. And what we need to do is to trust him that he knows better than us. Now, I know that's sometimes really, really difficult for some people, for somebody else to know better than them. But trust me and trust the Bible. God knows better. He has the bigger picture all we need to do is be obedient to him, keep our focus on him, and yes, it is easier said than done, 
I'm guilty of it, of taking my eyes off him many times when making decisions. I am guilty of saying, no, actually, my idea is a lot better, so God, I'm just going to park yours here for a moment. I'm going to do it my way. And then the thing was, I knew that a few days or maybe weeks later, I'd come back and say, I'm really sorry, it didn't work. Not because my idea wasn't good, it was because of other people, but you know what I mean. So we're going to take up your idea and go and do it. Now, that would have saved me weeks and months if right at the beginning I would have listened to my brothers and sisters here in terms of being faithful to God and listening to him and taking up what he has for me and agreeing, yeah, that is the best plan, even if it doesn't sound right, even if in the eyes of the world it doesn't sound right. Yeah, many of us are doing things that the world out there would be laughing at us, saying, it's a waste of time. What are you doing that for? But you spent a lot of time studying, getting a degree and doing this. You can get a good job, but you're doing this instead? Or you could do this a lot better? You've got so many more skills and giftings. The world thinks, yeah, it's foolish. And Paul, again, says that. What we do in the eyes of the world sometimes is foolish. Because that's how God's turned their wisdom. They think they're wise. Jesus said, no one puts his hand to the plow and then look back and say, actually, I've got to go and grab a copper before I can do this. Once you start doing it, you get into it. And that alone, that picture... Of farming tells you it's not going to be easy. We're not after a ticket to heaven, but we all know it's the beauty of Jesus that we're after. It's the grace and love that He has for us. Now, I'm going to finish with a question. I think we're going to bring the kids back in because we're about to break bread together. We're not. Okay, no, the kids aren't going to come back in. We'd love them to be a part of this and now and again to be part of breaking bread. So that's why we do it in different ways, either to do it right at the beginning or bring them back in. But um, this morning, uh, we're not going to bring them back in, but we're going to break bread together. I'm going to finish with a question. In what areas of your life would you like Jesus to come and take hold of you? Now, you may name many areas, and Jesus is more than willing to take hold of them. What you're required to do is to actually let go of them. And letting go is usually really, really difficult. But what areas are there in your life? Just think about it for 10 seconds. What areas are there that you would be saying, Jesus, yeah, I want you here as well. I've said this before. Jesus doesn't do part-time. Jesus wants us in full He's a way maker. He comes and opens up doors when everything seems to be shut. He's a miracle worker. He raised the dead. He's healed the sick. He's done many, many works in the way where John said, if you have to write them down, the whole world can't contain the books that be written about him. What areas of your life are you willing to give up to Jesus and say, come and take hold of it? Now, we're going to break bread. If you're a guest here and if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'd love you to take part in this with us. We really honor this tradition because it's what Jesus has given us and we do that as a family. So if you're from a different church background as well, we'd love you to come and join us with this. But if you don't believe in Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know him as the person who's given his life for you, then this is probably the only place we would ask you not to take part with us. You, but we would encourage you to, as we continue to worship, to join in with us in worship. Shall we all stand up? If I could ask the band to come up, please.